taking a break from our series on Deuteronomy, and we'll pick it up again in January after Thanksgiving today and then Advent and Christmas. But I want to encourage you uh, to come back uh, tonight, this morning's message as well as this evening's message is along the theme of Thanksgiving, and tonight Bruce Hurlbut will be bringing a message looking at the biblical reasons we should have a Thanksgiving Day, a national celebration, a national observance of giving thanks. But this morning, I want to direct our attentions to a psalm, Psalm 100, and I want to look at the question of how can we be more grateful the story behind the hymn, Now Thank We All Our God, that we will sing at the end of the service is a, a, a story that is, is really inspirational to me, but it is a story that can be deeply convicting. In 1637, during the time of the Thirty Years' Wars, a German pastor by the name of Martin Richter was faced with a tremendous hopeless situation in the town in which he lived. It is said that he buried between four and five thousand townspeople within a year. He was the only pastor that was left and though the average funerals a day averages out to be about 15, there were some days that he would conduct 40 to 50 funerals. That's how many people died. His town was ravaged by war, disease, economic distress. There was death all about. And Rector was right in the middle of it, ministering to an impossible situation. He wanted to write some words for his children that in the midst of all of this hopelessness and despair that they might have reason to turn their eyes upon God and to give thanks for what God has done and to give thanks to God himself. And Martin sat down to write these words uh, for his children these are familiar words to us. Now thank we all our God with heart and hands and voices who wondrous things has done in whom his world rejoices who from our mother's arms hath led us on our way with countless gifts of love and still is ours today words that echoed from the voice of one man into the darkness, the deep darkness of trouble and despair. This story is deeply convicting to me because as I look in my life and all of my relative life of ease and prosperity, I have absolutely no reason ever to be ungrateful. There is no reason for me to ever grumble compared to a situation like this, but I do. And maybe you do as well. My default setting is to complain, 
is to feel sorry for myself and to fixate on the circumstances that trouble me. I quickly lose the perspective that Martin Richter had in the most troubling of circumstances. I lose that perspective of what has God done and who is God? This story behind the hymn is also inspiring because if God's grace could so move in Richter's life that he would give thanks and encourage his children to give thanks, surely God's grace (laughs) can move in my life to be more grateful. Do you want to be more grateful? Well, Psalm 100 is very similar. Psalm 100 is the standard, I think, from which this story might even be based, this idea of a story being both inspiring and convicting. Because I think as as we read Psalm 100, we are convicted of our ingratitude, but we're also inspired to go deeper into why we should give thanks before God. And so this hymn gives us that perspective of why we should be thankful. And it gives us two reasons to be more thankful. To give thanks to God for what he has done, but more to give thanks to God himself. And so as you uh, will read, and we'll read Psalm 100 in in just a little bit, this this psalm is called a, a psalm of ascent or a processional psalm. And it, there's really a beautiful way that this psalm was, was used. It, it does point to formal corporate worship of God's people, but it's also a psalm that impacts our everyday lives. We make a distinction between corporate worship, formal worship, which we're doing today, but the scriptures tell us that all of life is to be worship, whole life worship. And the same principles that this psalm applies formally to corporate worship can be applied to our everyday lives as we live and have our being before God and as we worship Him with our very life. And so this, this psalm of ascent directs us to acknowledge God's gifts, what he has done, but also to acknowledge God himself, who he is. In verse 2b, God's people are called to come into his presence. And so the Old Testament worshiper would, would process to the temple singing verses 1 through 3. And as they approached the temple they would actually, as verse 4 commands, enter his gates, literally go into the temple courts with thanksgiving. And as the people processed in, there would be choirs already in the court. As they're singing verses 1 through 3, the choirs in the courts would be singing verses 4 through 5, this beautiful antiphonal type singing. And the movement of the psalm takes us 
into deeper reasons for which we are to be giving thanks to God. We are to thank Him for what He has done, His gifts. But that leads us into deeper worship, verses 4 and 5, as we thank God for who He is. And so as we follow then the movement in giving thanks that this psalm teaches, that's our structure of this message today, looking first at giving thanks for what God has done, giving thanks for his gifts, secondly, going deeper, giving thanks for who God is, giving thanks for the giver of these uh, gifts. Before we read God's word, let us pray together. Father, we thank you for the privilege of worship. We thank you for who you are and for all that you've done for us. And even as we acknowledge how often we turn to grumbling and complaining, not content, yet, Father, I pray today that you would show us how we can be more grateful by acknowledging your gifts and acknowledging you as our God. And we pray and ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Now turn to Psalm 100 as we read this psalm of ascent, a psalm for giving thanks. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. For the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever. And his faithfulness to all generations. The word of the Lord is eternal. It stands firm in the heavens. It revives the soul. First, God's gifts. Have you ever received an unexpected gift We have an old family friend who some years ago gave us an unexpected uh, gift of money. And he said, I just thought you might need a little extra cash. Uh, We had a young family, and he judged correctly. We we needed extra cash. And I just remember thinking, well, maybe we ought to give this money back. There's no reason for him to give this gift uh, to us. But we received it. And we simply could not thank him enough. Think about God's gifts that he gives to us. We don't deserve them. His gifts are great. And yet we receive them and we can't, we should have this attitude that we can't thank God enough. Before the psalmist even gets to the three specific gifts that he mentions in this psalm, he talks about three attitudes that the worshiper is to have as the worshiper comes before God. First, verse 1, we are to come making a joyful noise to the Lord. Now, that's the ESV version. We are to come make a joyful noise to the Lord. The ESV version is the Presbyterian version. Because other versions speak about shouting. Presbyterians don't shout. We make a, that's a joke. We make a joyful 
noise. The inner attitude of our hearts should be jubilant as we come before God in worship for the purpose of giving thanks. We're to be glad, verse 2, serve the Lord with gladness. A joyful noise likely emanates from a heart that is glad. When we acknowledge being called to worship both formally and also being called to worship, that our lives would be a worship service to the Lord every day, it is by His grace. It is not a right, it is a privilege. And that should motivate our hearts to, be, to overflow with gladness that God has so called us to come before him in worship. And then singing, as, as I mentioned earlier, that verse 3, one of the, kind of the attitudes or postures God's people are to have as they come to worship is, is not only making a joyful noise, not only this gladness in the heart spilling over but the melody of the gospel that is echoing in our souls just comes out in song. When my heart is glad, I whistle. And so if you ever hear me whistling, just say, well, Tim's got a glad heart. There's something about the music, the melody of the gospel that by God's grace just seeps deeply into our inner person that has to bubble out. And it bubbles out oftentimes in singing praise to God. That's why I, I, I love the hymns of the church. These hymns that are rooted and based in Scripture where we're able to sing to one another and to God these, these beautiful truths of God's word. It's our it's the gospel spilling over in our hearts and through our voices to sing of the wondrous works that God has done to sing of how great and awesome God is. I like to think of worship and and just simply how God is has done all of these things that, that, that he's a God that's concerned with our whole brain. That you hear sermons like this and, and we read scripture and our left brains are that more cognitive, the more uh, structured part, uh, the more outlinish part of our brains are involved. But we also, the more artistic side of our brain is involved in worship too, music and singing. The whole person is involved in worship. That's the way God's designed it. That's what we see here in Psalm 100 as the people come, making a joyful noise, yeah, shouting praise to God because their hearts are just so glad to be a child of God and to know Jesus. And it just, that joyful noise has a melody to it. Just the reality of the gospel deeply embedded in our soul just flows out in song. The hymns we sing, the song in our heart that comes out reflects 
God's attributes, who he is, reflects his actions, what he has done. So we're commanded to make a joyful noise, serve the Lord gladly and, and sing as, as we come to acknowledge him in grateful worship for all that he has done on our behalf. What has he done? The psalmist speaks of three particular things that God has done, three gifts, I will call them. And the first one is creation. We are to be grateful for all that God has created. He's created everything, but in particular what the psalmist is asking God's people to consider is that God has created man. Verse 3, he made us. He created us. And he created us to have a relationship with him. And this brings us to the next gift. His. We are his. Verse 3. Yes, all men are God's creatures. But I believe the psalmist here is not referring to just simply all men that God has created, yes, he's referring here to his redeemed, those that he has brought into his covenant, those that he has a relationship, a, a redemptive relationship with through Christ. You know, the overarching story of the Bible, one grand story, and it is God gathering a people out of sinful humanity and loving them in Christ Jesus and redeeming them to be his. Where he is able to say, you are my people and I am your God. That's the grand story of the Bible. We see it played out from Genesis 1 to Revelation 22 and is still being played out today. As God is gathering his people and loving them in Christ Jesus. Jesus, we are his. First Peter 2, 9, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. And I love verse 10 because it just it so, so clearly shows the transforming power of God's gospel. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. We're his. He created us to have a relationship with him. He redeems us to have a relationship with him. And then thirdly, he shepherds us. God made us, God redeemed us, and he cares for us. Verse 3, we are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Philip Keller, who actually was a shepherd, wrote a book. And uh, Philip Keller's book title is A Shepherd's Look at Psalm 23. And he relates his experience with sheep as a shepherd. And the story goes something like this as, as Keller wrote about it. Just because of the way that the, the sheep is made up, it is impossible for a sheep to lie down and be at peace unless four requirements are, are met. Now, as I'm talking about sheep, may we be thinking about us, all right? 
because like it or not, we are very much like sheep. We need a shepherd and we also need these four things. In order for a sheep to lie down, he needs to be uh, free from all fear, needs to be free from friction within the flock or within the congregation, needs to be free of flies and parasites, and needs to be free from hunger. When those four requirements are met, sheep lies down and is able to rest. When I, when I think about that, I, I just go back to 1637 with, with Rinkhart there at his kitchen table in, in all of that darkness, in all of that death, in all of that warring, anything but peace, anything but physically these four things being met. And yet, he was able to sit down at his table, write those words for his children that reflect he was free from fear, he was free from friction, he was free from parasites, he was free from hunger, he was in God's hands, he was in the care of the shepherd, and he was able to write what became a hymn of thanksgiving in the most desperate situation. God not only cares for us like a shepherd, he is the true shepherd. We find passages like Psalm 95, 6 and 7, Psalm 23, and then the passage that Brandon read earlier, John 10, that all point to God as our shepherd. Now, I'm going to ask you to do something. I'm going to read Psalm 23, but I don't want you to turn to Psalm 23. I want you to listen to Psalm 23 be read. And while you're listening to Psalm 23 being read, I want you to think about walking through a dark valley with dangers all about. I want you to think about Rinkhart's life in the most desperate of situations with death all around. And I want to think about, maybe I want you to think about your need today, my need today, where we are struggling with those four things being met. And as I read this psalm, I want you to contextualize it to your life that we might have a greater appreciation of the shepherd and his care for us. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever.
And that psalm points to these words of Jesus. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, I know the Father. I lay down my life for the sheep. Our good shepherd cares for us. Our good shepherd meets all of our needs. He laid down his life for us that we might lie down in green pastures under his care with our souls restored. The psalmist calls the worshiper to contemplate the works, the actions, the gifts of God. He created us. We are his. He is the shepherd. And as we meditate upon those gifts, we break forth in jubilant praise and thanksgiving. But the psalm doesn't stop there. It, it moves us to a deeper reason to give thanks. The family friend that gave us une- that unexpected gift, that's just what he did. He was a giver. And that's God. God is the ultimate giver. It's, it's, it's who he is. God's actions in verse 3 flow out of his nature in verse 5. Where, where the psalmist reflects upon three of the many attributes of God. God is good, he is loving, and he is faithful. First, God is good. That's, if that's the only reason that we would have to give thanks, that would be enough. Psalm 145, 8 through 10. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all and his mercy is over all that he has made. All your works shall give thanks to you, O Lord, and all your saints shall bless you. James 1.17, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. God is good. God is also loving. The psalmist speaks of God's steadfast and enduring love. Now, I'm fairly good at demonstrating my love for Renee. I'm more of a doer. But Renee has said throughout throughout our history as a couple that, you know, I really appreciate all that you do that demonstrates your love, but it will not replace, Tim, you saying... I love you. And it's true. So I need to do a better job at saying I love you. So I just told you. (laughs) And I've got witnesses. (laughs) See how I planned that? I've been thinking about this for a week. No. You know, God has demonstrated his love for us. Romans 5, 8, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Ephesians 1, 4, and 5, in love, 
he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. But we need more. We need God to say, I love you, and he does. Jeremiah 31, 3, the Lord appeared to him from afar. I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, I have continued my faithfulness to you. Don't hear God through Jeremiah saying that and it not really seep down into your heart. God would be able to say to each one of you here, if you know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, I have loved you from eternity past. I have loved you before I created anything. I have loved you in Christ Jesus. I chose you in Christ Jesus. In love, I predestined you in Christ Jesus. I have loved you. God says. And this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. God is good. God loves us. God is faithful, verse 5. The, the attribute is, is, is related to God's action in caring for his sheep. We could not have a more faithful shepherd God's faithfulness is, is described by some as, the, as, as his utter reliability, firmness and constancy of his character, commands and promises, his determined, steadfast loyalty toward his people and his covenant. And I'm just reminded as I think of God's faithfulness, I, I, I go to the book of Lamentation where on either side of chapter 3, some difficult things are talked about in Lamentation, woe and me. But in chapter 3, this beautiful pinnacle of God's love and faithfulness to us, we find these words, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion. Let me just stop here a minute. What I want more than anything with regards to spiritual formation is that more and more I would actually be able to say that and mean it, that God is my portion, that God is all I need. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. And we think of 2 Timothy 2.11, the saying is trustworthy for if we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. That even when we are faithless people, even the confession of sin that we recited this morning points to just how faithless we are at times. And yet, God does not base his faithfulness on ours. He is utterly faithful to care for us, to love us, to redeem us. And so we find in verses 1 through 3 that, that we are commanded to give thanks for God's gifts, all that he has done. 
And then the, the psalmist moves us deeper into the reason to give thanks in verses 4 and 5. Go deeper. Be grateful for who God is. Give thanks to the giver of these wonderful gifts. Well, what led Martin Rector, that German pastor, in the midst of all of that death and destruction to write what became a hymn of thanks to God while literally his world was falling in around him? The story continues. The next year, Rector lost his wife. The next year, the funerals continued at an unbelievable pace. This man had reason to despair, to give up, to burn out, to be angry at God, to be embittered and bitter towards others. He could not avoid the circumstances. He was the only pastor left. He had to do the funerals. And yet his life, in the words of this hymn, in all of that despair, reflects gratitude toward all that God has done and toward who God is. Between the end of December of last year and June of this year, we lost seven of our saints to death. They're with the Lord in heaven, so we can be thankful for that. For a church our size, seven funerals is a lot. But compare that to day after day after day for over a year, 15 plus funerals a day. How could anyone have any degree of thankfulness? And yet, the story behind the hymn, now thank we all our God, is inspirational because it points us ultimately to the power of God's grace at work in his heart that moved him to not be fixated on the circumstances, not to avoid them, not to deny them, not to run from them, but to hit them head on. But his perspective was on two things. What God has done, his wondrous works, and who God is, the giver of every good and perfect gift. And so you ask me, how can I be more thankful? I would just simply direct you to Psalm 100. To give thanks for what God has done, but go deeper. Give thanks to God himself. And as we do that, dependent upon God's grace, I believe my life and yours will reflect more and more gratitude even in the most desperate 
of situations. Let us pray. God, our Father, we acknowledge our struggle to be grateful. We acknowledge how easily our eyes do become fixated on ourself and on our circumstances. And we can easily fear and grumble and complain. But yet, oh God, this psalm convicts us of how quickly we can be ungrateful, but it also inspires us that your grace at work can bring about jubilant praise, jubilant worship of thanksgiving, both corporately and whole life worship, as your grace does its transforming work in our hearts. And so I pray that you would make us a grateful people. Enable us to see all that you have done and to give thanks. Enable us to see more fully who you are and give thanks. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.